Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military, but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. My view of how stigma worked was much different when I was first coming out of the Marines as an enlisted guy than it is now. Nowadays, I'm like, stigma, who cares? Like, I could care less what anybody thinks of me. If, if they think, uh, oh, you know, he couldn't hack it or, or whatever. Uh, and not even just with combat stigma, with a lot of things. I, I'm a lot, uh, I put a lot less focus on, on other people's perceptions of me than I do on my focus on overall happiness and, and enjoyment in life. When a civilian enters any branch of the military, they go through a period of basic military training that's designed to change the way they think and act to turn them into a soldier, sailor, marine, airman, or coast guardsman. This is seen as an important time in the individual's life, critical for the proper transition from being someone not in the military to part of one of the greatest fighting forces on the planet. After a period of time in the military, however, there's little done in any branch of the service to help that service member transition their mindset to life as a veteran. As we often say here in the Change Your POV podcast network, after one leaves the military, they're never going to be a civilian again. And they're no longer a service member. They're this entirely different third thing, a veteran, with all the experiences, knowledge, strengths, and challenges that go along with that word. One of the most overlooked aspects of transition is a service member's mental health and wellness. If the veteran has their heart, mind, body, and spirit in the right place, and has a support network of family and friends to rely upon, then they're most likely going to have a successful transition. Those things are not in place. Things can get challenging. I'm your host, Dwayne France, and I'm going to take you through a veteran mental health boot camp to give you some advanced training for your brain. These episodes will cover the many different aspects of veteran mental health that I, as both a combat veteran and a clinical mental health counselor, see, experience, and support veterans with daily. I'm going to be joined by both veterans and mental health professionals talking about what you need to know about the stigma against seeking support, the different areas we need to understand, and provide some resources for when you think you might need them. Get up in the morning and out of the rack, because this is some information that could very well save your life. Welcome to Veteran Mental Health Boot Camp.
Hey everybody, welcome back to the Headspace and Timing Podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen again. Uh, just the fact that you're uh, trying to understand more about veteran mental health and that you're joining us and listening to these conversations means that uh, you're, you're in the fight against the stigma against veteran mental health. As you know, uh, we're in this uh, series, uh, we've just started this series uh, on uh, veteran mental health beyond PTSD and TBI, uh, that the concept is that when we're talking about veteran mental health, um, yes, post-traumatic stress disorder and TBI are involved in the, the conversation, but that's not the whole conversation. So before we start getting into uh, talking about PTSD, TBI, and the rest of these concepts that I introduced back in episode 25, uh, I first wanted to talk about some of the impacts uh, that keep a veteran uh, talking about mental health. And so this episode, we're going to be talking about the internal stigma against seeking help. Uh, Next episode, we're going to be talking about the external stigma against seeking help. Um, And so... uh, So this is going to kind of give you some groundwork on what keeps a veteran from uh, getting to these uh, these places that they can talk about this stuff. Uh, So to do so, I've got a uh, guest coming on the show today, a a former Marine. I always like to say former Marine because there are no Um, ex-Marines, although uh, there are some that will say they're ex-Marines and they got out in a bad way. So uh, Marines that got out in a good way are former Marines. So former Marine David Smith is uh, joining me. Uh, on the podcast today. So, David, welcome to the show. Thanks, Wayne. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, uh, as we were talking before we went on, uh, you and I have been having some conversations over some months, and, and I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to come in and, and not just talk about stigmas. We'll get to that, but uh, your own personal journey regarding uh, regarding mental health and, and just military transition. So, before we get into that, can you maybe tell the audience a little bit about yourself, uh, your time in the military, and then your transition? Yeah, so uh, I served as a Marine Corps rifleman from 2003 to 2007. Um, I was deployed twice for Operation Iraqi Freedom, and one of them being somewhat somewhat difficult deployments in 2004 in particular up in uh, the Jaff, Karbala, Divania, Fallujah area, uh, when things were... Nice and fun over that way. Um, we participated in a lot of combat. And um, then, let's see, I deployed again in 2006, got out of the Marine Corps. Uh, I worked in Los Angeles for a short time doing kind of odd jobs while trying to figure out what on earth I wanted to, uh, to do with my life after leaving the Marines. Um, and then, of course, managed to work, uh, managed to land a job doing graveyard shift security for an oil company. Um Went to community college while working the graveyard shift for this oil company. So I didn't sleep a lot, but I got a lot done. Uh, transferred up to UC Berkeley. Graduated from UC Berkeley with my bachelor's in 2013. Traveled around the world for about a year and change doing uh, humanitarian missions and, and development projects. And then I moved to Norway in December of 2014 to be with the woman I love, who is now my wife. And now I work here in Norway for a a uh, very fun and interesting software startup that creates sales enablement uh, solutions for uh, for companies, and I'm having a ton of fun out here doing stuff. Yeah, no, I uh, I do have a, a little bit of jealousy as you and I had talked uh, when we first talked maybe several months ago. Uh, I'd spent some time in Trondheim when I was uh, deployed or not deployed, but stationed in Germany, 
as a young soldier back in the mid 90s, uh, we did a, um, a three month uh, exercise up in Norway uh, and, uh, and again, uh, right there around Trondheim. And so a uh, beautiful place, uh, always intend to come back and, uh, and spend some vacation there and, and, uh, and, and show the church to the kids and all that other stuff. So, uh, and, and even that, you know, it's pretty interesting, your entire story and your journey, but that doesn't even really kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, dig the surface really of what we're talking about. And you know, somebody will listen to that and say, well, that sounds like a guy that's uh, pretty well adjusted and landed on its feet and, and, uh, and, and he's doing well for himself. But, and I guess the old, uh, Paul Harvey, you know, there, there's, there's more to the story, isn't there? Yeah, of course there is. It's funny when I first started telling people the full version of my story, which by the way, wasn't until almost a decade of, of being out of service. I would tell this to people and they'd be like, Oh, I had no idea. And my only response was, well, yeah, you're, you're not supposed to, you know, you're not supposed to see all the part that sucks and it's hard. Uh, but, but I think that's part of the problem, you know, kind of in this age of digital social media and everything else. We want to pretend like life is perfect and bad things don't happen and we don't face personal problems and huge obstacles, but, you know, we do. And a lot of times, uh, the most important thing that you can do with your life is to share your struggles and, and share uh, not only the inspirational, bright, shining pieces, but the parts where you stumbled and fell on your face and had a really difficult time and somehow managed to get through it because a lot of times there's tons of people out there who need to hear that part of it. Yeah, I think that uh, that, that brings to mind some people talking about uh, maybe uh, comparing uh, your first chapter to somebody 10th chapter or, you know, uh, the, the success that it takes to get there. Uh, you know, in entrepreneurship, and this is very much more, you know, Eddie and Bennett's show um, and maybe Kevin's, but that that entrepreneurial journey, it takes years to become an overnight success. Um, and, and people see that sort of, that flash and that sizzle, but they don't realize the challenges that, that really gave you the strength to get through there. Uh, and, and then the other piece, uh, a colleague of mine says that uh, you know, secrets are, are termites of the soul, right? You know, and so we keep these things. And that sort of breeds maybe an imposter syndrome. If somebody says, you know, David, you're, you're doing so well, you're so great in the back of your mind, you're like, yeah, but you really don't, you don't know the real me, right? You don't know really what's going on behind. Uh, and that really drives a lot of the stigma. So it took you 10 years to really start talking about your, your mental health concerns or, or journey or anything like that. So maybe before we get into that, you want to talk a little bit about that, maybe the, the, the mental health stuff that you dealt with? Yeah, I would say uh, for me, dealing with mental health was um, perhaps more difficult in one particular way than it is for most people. Um, because, of course, mental health is, is difficult to address and deal with for, for anyone. Um, but mine, part of what happened while I was in Iraq is that uh, – one night, while well, trapped on the rooftop of a burning building and surrounded by insurgents, I, uh, I fired down an alleyway at a group of targets that was running towards us, and, and one of them turned out to be a Marine, and I shot and injured a Marine who was a friend of mine. Um, and so that particular part, you know, it's, it's one thing to talk about mental health and be like, yeah, you know, we were, we were hooking and jabbing and getting blown up and all this stuff, but nobody ever wants to tell that story like, uh, I made a mistake and I hurt a Marine and I, you know, it, it had a big impact. So, 
so that part of it was was really difficult for me to um, to start getting out there. And as you said, um, termites of the soul, right? When you keep stuff in there, uh, I'm, I'm a huge believer, especially now that when something's really bothering you, the best way to address it and get over it is is to just talk about it with someone, anyone, and and that can be mental health professionals, it can be a friend, it can be a mentor, it can be family, it can be anyone, but when, when we keep that stuff inside, it eats us up and it's never good. Yeah, and, and that's exactly right. I mean, a, a lot of people, you're doing it in a very public way, right, and have gotten to be comfortable to say, you know, this is exactly what happened, um, and, and there is some shame and guilt there. I remember when you and I first talked several months ago, there was a couple things that you had said uh, and, and I brought it back when I interviewed Justin for our show here, uh, was you said that uh, it's easier to kick down doors than talking about kicking down doors, right? That, that, that my point was, you know, there's, there's a lot of action that, that veterans, that service members were able to do. We're able to, to, you know, we got our buddies stacked with us and we have, you know, um, you know area covered and everything else. Uh, so we can kick down a door in Fallujah or Ramadi or, you know, uh, Kabul, um, and we can do that without a whole bunch of hesitation, but then when it comes to actually getting through the door of a counselor, um, we we avoid that, and there is a lot more avoidance going through the door that, that ultimately is going to be better for us. Um, but you saying it is a lot easier to take action than talk about the action. Yeah, I, I think that's... 100% true because, you know, being in combat is fun. You know, it's, yeah. a lot of that is, is fun, right? It's, it's, it gets the adrenaline pumping and everyone wants to hear those stories. Um, and, and you'll hear, you know, you'll go to a bar, you'll go wherever. And if you find a veteran, you'll, you may get a war story or two, but what they're not going to tell you is, man, I was scared out of my mind kicking indoors sometimes. You don't know what's on the other side of that. Or even dismounting a vehicle, you know, while we're while we're in the middle of uh, uh, of taking fire or whatever it happens to be, um, you you'll get all the highlights, but you very 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 rarely will meet people who tell you it was terrifying. Uh, I watched someone near me who was shot, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't have the medical skills. I froze. I whatever it happens to be, um, and and that makes sense, you know. No, nobody wants to tell those stories. Um, but, but they're really important to get out there. So yeah, of course, uh, kicking down doors is much easier than talking about the real deep truth behind kicking down doors. Absolutely. So what was it and, and maybe what was the journey, maybe some of the things that you experienced after stopping kicking down doors, what were some of the challenges that you faced uh, and, uh, and then what made you decide to maybe start talking about it? I would say, you know, at first coming home, uh, you know, nobody has a problem, right? <laughs> so we were, we were up in Iraq the first time around for about nine months. And like I said, some really, really heavy combat. Um, we had really close friends who were killed, injured, everything else. We, we, we took a lot of casualties and did a lot of fighting up there. Um, and when we first came home, you know, we didn't necessarily realize it ourselves. Um, but you know, when, when family or friends would be around us, they're like, Ooh, you're a little rough around the edges. No, I'm not <laughs> that kind of thing. And then, and I think over time it, it sort of, uh, evolved and took more shape, you know? Um, 
I, I found myself regularly doing things that I knew were absolutely ridiculous, but that were uh, adrenaline behaviors that I enjoyed. I would, you know, I'd put down six, eight, 12 beers and then go surfing at night using the headlights of my truck to find the waves. Uh, and I'd do it until, you know, eventually the board would flip and I'd go down and smash my head on the ocean floor and maybe go slightly unconscious or whatever. And then finally say, yeah, okay, this is dumb. And then go back to the truck. But then again, I'd do it the following night or the following weekend or whatever. Uh, same with mountain biking. You know, I would do all these behaviors um, so, so aggressively and so dangerously that of course it was fun, but it didn't make any sense. I mean, nowadays I still love to mountain bike. I love it. It's, it's one of my releases, but I, I don't, I don't have it in me to do that kind of biking anymore where I'm just literally almost trying to kill myself. Um, and, and I think that that's, that's kind of the, the thing that I noticed is, is one was a, was a whole lot of adrenaline seeking behavior. Um, the other one was, of course, I didn't know how to explain it when I spoke with counselors. Um, cause I would go to a counselor's office and they'd be like, why are you here? I'd be like, I don't know. I just want to learn how to be less of an asshole. <laughs> and they'd be like, well, yeah, but what does that mean? I'd be like, I don't know. I just feel like I'm an a-hole all the time and I want to fix it. And they'd be like, well, okay, right. Um, so what can I do to help? And I just flip out. I'm like, I don't know. You tell me. You're the counselor. How am I supposed to tell you what to do to help me? Same conversation and so go I, had and, with a, I had with a veteran one time. I was like, why are you here? And he's like, I don't know. You're the therapist. Therapatize me. And he's like, you do yeah. this for a living. I don't. And so, yeah, there is a lot of that. Yeah, exactly. The, the other big problem that I face is going to a lot of these counselors. Um, I never had a counselor. I, I had some counselors who had been in the military for a short time or whatever. Um, especially when I would go to vet centers or something, but a lot of them didn't have any military experience at all. And certainly I personally didn't have any who had been under really, really heavy combat, who'd ever taken a life, who'd ever tried to save a dying friend, who'd ever, um, been ambushed, that kind of stuff. And to me, I would sit in these counselors offices and just yell at them because I would, it, to me, it was like, how are you supposed to understand? You know, if you've never been there, how are you possibly supposed to understand what it's like and, and relate to me? But I found that to be a very, a very false view because once I took the time to understand these counselors and, and to do the work, I found that, you know, they really do know what they're talking about. They really can be extremely helpful and they really can help. But those are just a couple of obstacles. You know, the adrenaline, the adrenaline seeking behavior, the, the desire to try and fix something, but I didn't know what I wanted to fix or, would get upset at people who didn't have combat experience when they tried to help me fix it, that kind of stuff. And then, of course, um, seeking employment and trying to figure out how to translate door kicker or, you know, marine grunts or whatever to uh, civilian side and land jobs. There was a lot of things that were really frustrating that, that made me upset. And I think I, what I found is I felt like I was constantly carrying a sword and shield. I was always on guard. I was always a little bit angry, but I liked that because I used all that anger. I'd take it to the gym with me. I'd, I'd take it and I'd do stuff with it. So uh, I enjoyed having a lot of like, you know, powerful, angry, whatever emotion. Um, and, and what I found in the long run is that you can still accomplish every bit as much without the negative emotion, without all the, the hard side effects and other stuff, you know. So it's okay to put down the shield and the sword and, and 
seek help and, and do things the right way. You don't need to carry all of that extra weight with you just because you feel like it makes you more effective. You know, and, and, and that's a, a great point, David, is that um, I had uh, actually seen, uh, I was working with a, a veteran that, you know, and, and I was a platoon sergeant. I was first sergeant in the Army, right? You know, so anger, like you said, it was a tool that we, we sharpened and we honed. And, uh, and this one particular service member, still active duty. And he was the, the guy, right? He was the guy that the first sergeant would wind up into anger and send him out into the, the company to, you know, to wreck skulls. But after we started figuring, but he couldn't, you know, and, and that's all he didn't turn that off, like you said, when, you know, when he was driving or when he was at home or anything like that. Uh, but ultimately, once he figured out a way to control that, he became more effective as a leader um, than, than less effective. You know, we have this idea that this anger, this tool that we have, um, you know, it's a shillelagh or it's a club, right? You know, but it's not a very finely tuned instrument. And once we actually learn how to manage that emotion, we can be more effective, not less effective. Yeah, the, the aggression side of it also, I was an extremely, extremely aggressive person, which I found to be a good thing, you know, if it was an argument or back in the days when I liked to fight, you know, if it was a fight, I wanted to be the most aggressive person. I wanted to do whatever. Uh, but I get, I get along perfectly fine now, probably much better so without it. You know, it's, it's okay to let that stuff go and, and you don't really, you know, you don't need it. And especially, you know, looking at being a recently married guy, I look at my life where I'm at now, recently married in this relationship. If I hadn't done the work, if I hadn't solved those, those anger problems uh, and those, those, aggression, uh, those aggression problems, there's no way that, that I would be able to be as happy and as successful as I am and as good of a husband as I am in this relationship. So I'm very happy that I did the work to sort that stuff. And, and that's what you're talking about, really, um, the, the part of the conceptualization that this is a series of is um, that, that lack of emotional control. Um, that's not post-traumatic stress disorder. That's something entirely different. Um, the, the family systems piece, uh, which we're going to be talking about with Josh Kramer going towards the end of the series here, um, that's going to be, that's something that's different. That's totally separate from post-traumatic stress disorder. And so just, uh, just you talking about that helps other veterans to understand that there's a lot more to the total package of veteran mental health than just post-traumatic stress disorder, traumatic brain injury. So for you getting into uh, sort of uh, what, what do you think is the stigma against veterans reaching out for help? And we're talking about the internal stigma. What makes us as veterans hesitant to uh, reach out to talk to a mental health professional? I think that varies a little bit because my view of how stigma worked was much different when I was first coming out of the Marines as an enlisted guy than it is now. Nowadays, I'm like, stigma, who cares? Like, I could care less what anybody thinks of me if, if they think, uh, oh, you know, he couldn't hack it or, or whatever. Uh, and not even just with combat stigma, with a lot of things. I, I'm a lot, uh, I put a lot less focus on, on other people's perceptions of me than I do on my focus on overall happiness and, and enjoyment in life. But I, I think that, uh, especially coming out of the military, you know, we didn't understand it in, in, in 2004, 2005 and stuff. You know, people would be like, oh, 
you know, are you struggling from post-traumatic stress or blah, blah, blah. And we just laugh it off. It wasn't even, I'd almost say it wasn't even really a thing. And we didn't really understand it. You know, we'd be like, yeah, we, I've heard of it, but that doesn't happen to us. You know, that doesn't happen to me. Um, so, so there was that kind of stigma around it. And then even after that, over time, it was definitely difficult for me to be the first person at least outwardly from my unit to go and say, Hey guys, you know, I'm talking to a counselor. I'm doing stuff. I'm trying to sort this stuff out. That, that was hard. You know, when you, when you're the first one doing it, um, the, the reason that I found it acceptable to admit that I was having problems and to talk other people into potentially seeking help as well is, uh, is because when I was living in Manhattan beach after getting out of the Marine Corps, um, I was out of the Marine Corps for about two years. I met a guy named Clay Hunt at a bar in Manhattan Beach one evening, and he was a fellow Marine, great guy. We had a good conversation and became close friends. But Clay would tell me all about his combat deployment. You know, he would tell me about how he watched people killed in front of him. He would tell me about, you know, sleeping in his in his bunkmate's bunk after his bunkmate was killed because he wanted to be feel closer to him. Um, he was just he was so good at, at, at expressing himself and talking about stuff that I was like, how do you do that? How do you, how do you talk about that? Like, it's not a big deal. And he said, well, because when you talk about it, it's not a big deal. Um, and, and I think that was really interesting to me. Clay was the first one who literally just crushed the stigma of it, who, who just owned his own transition. Um, and, and was very, forwardly active in, in doing what he need to, needed to do in terms of going to counselors, seeking help, and everything else. So um, I, I, I think that that helped a lot. You know, and I think that the demonstration of, uh, that's what we're usually, this is what we're used to in the military, right? You know, uh, show, uh, tell, show, do, right, is, is how we used to learn stuff. And, and you know, all the way basic training boot camp, by the numbers, crawl, walk, run. Uh, and so... Uh, having that to be demonstrated, actually somebody to have the courage to step out and, and take that step and say, yeah, I'm, I'm seeking, you know, mental health, whatever. Um, uh, I've said this uh, pretty often, but it applies here. You know, I'm, I'm a Jeep guy, right? So, you know, Jeeps are like uh, Legos for, for big guys, right? You know, and bolt stuff on. So I've got, my, my Jeep is pretty recognizable. If people know me, they see my Jeep, they say, hey, that's Dwayne's Jeep. And when I was in active duty, it probably would have been more appropriate uh, for my soldiers or my peers to see my Jeep sitting outside of a strip club or a bar than it would have been for me to be seen sitting outside the mental health clinic, right? And there's something that's sort of skewed about that in that me being happily married and, and being, a, you know, probably not the best place outside of a strip club, definitely not the best place out of a strip club for me. Whereas the mental health clinic is someplace that is beneficial. It's, it's like being parked in front of the gym, only for your head. Um, but so there's that. And we talk about that's the external stigma. But just that idea of, you know, other people are going to talk about me or other people are going to say something about me. Uh, until you get to the point like Clay did and demonstrated for you, it's like, I don't give a crap. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm to the point where this is hurting me or bothering me so much that it's not going to, you know, it's not going to continue because I can't let it continue. So I think that that mentorship or that modeling was important for you. Yeah, and I've found it to be almost uh, an undeniable truth that 
veterans don't really feel that it's okay to seek help a lot of times until another veteran comes to them and says, hey, I've done it too. It was effective for me. It worked. I'm glad that I did it. And perhaps you should check it out. It's almost like we need permission from one another to, as you said, go to the go to the gym for our heads, right? To, to, to go and, and get the, uh, do what we need to do for, for our mental health. And I, I find that really interesting. I completely understand it coming from a grunt background where everything's kind of like, uh, you know, you need the, you need the, um, the approval of your peers and almost everything that you do. It's one of the most important things, right? But, um, I, I'm not sure that I grasp still why it is that way for mental health. Um, because you know, if, if, if civilians, civilians can come up to veterans all day long and say, you know, Hey, you should go to the, you should go to a clinic. You should speak to a counselor. Da, da, da. It's just not going to work. It, it, it may sometimes, but I find it ex- much, much, much more effective when a veteran goes to another veteran and says, Hey, I've been there. I've done that. Uh, I got help. And I, as a result, I've never been happier, healthier, more successful, uh, or an all around better person. And then they're like, Oh, all of a sudden the light bulb goes on and it's okay. I find that to be really interesting. No, and that's exactly what uh, what we're trying to do with the podcast here is saying, you know what, there's there's nothing wrong uh, and actually a whole heck of a lot right with uh, going to talk to somebody and getting this stuff out of your head um, it, to be able to have a more successful post-military life, employment, relationships. This is, and, 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 and I'm talking about it all the time, but this is foundational. This is the foundational aspect for uh, a, a successful life uh, later on. Um, whereas, uh, this generation, I think you and I have talked about this, this generation has the potential and I believe even the responsibility to have an impact on this century that the greatest generation had on the last century. Um, however, uh, we also have the potential to be like the post-World War I generation and just kind of be lost and not really sure what's going on. And then there's the roaring twenties and then the depression. You know, so and, and, and we're, we're sort of on these two diverging paths, and, uh, and it's up to us which one to choose. And some of it is uh, getting our, our headspace and timing right, really, not to, not to pump the show. So it's yeah. great to hear you say that. And, and it's interesting because we have reached a point. We've been at war for so long now that there will soon be people retiring who spent their entire enlistment in service post 9-11. That's going to start happening soon. You know, uh, it's, it's really mind blowing to me. Um, but, but that's just the way that it is. And, and as you said, um, uh, our country, we, we are in probably the most desperate need of leadership that we've been in, in a very, very, very long time. Uh, and I have zero doubt whatsoever that veterans can come in and fill that role and, and, put things together again and make things work um, and, and bridge all of the divide that's been taking place. But in order to do that, they've got to be able to fix themselves first. You can't fix other people before you fix yourself. Uh, so my huge hope is that everyone who's coming home uh, at least takes the time, you know, chat it out, get checked out, do whatever um, so that you can be the absolute best version of yourself. And then once you are, mentor other people, 
start a business, uh, hire other veterans, run for office, whatever it is that you want to do. But it, it all starts uh, with you first on the inside doing what you've got to do. Because it's it's so hard. you know. Like I said in the beginning of this, there, there is zero chance that I would be able to have as successful and as happy of a marriage as I have now if I hadn't sorted this stuff out prior. Um, I talk about everything with my wife, literally everything. Hide nothing from her. Uh, any question she's got, I'll answer. Uh, and, and all of that is a result of, uh, it had to start somewhere. You know, I had to start doing it with, with counselors and with other veterans and with other people. And it's one of those things that the, the more and the more you, you talk about it and go through it, the more, uh, the more it becomes not a big deal. You know, it becomes, it's now, now people ask me, Hey, what happened? I started this podcast talking about how I shot a Marine. That's all, that, that took me a decade to get out, right. literally a decade. Now it comes out first thing on a podcast. Why? Because it's important because it sets the tone for what we're talking about. It sets the tone for understanding why the stigma of mental health uh, is a problem. So, so here's one thing that I didn't discuss. Um, so, so not seeking help, all of that other stuff for quite some time. While I was a student at UC Berkeley, I put a loaded shotgun in my mouth and was, was quite serious about suicide. A lot of it is because I was numb. It's not because I was, oh, my life is so bad, I want to end it. I was just numb. I numbed myself to everything, had no feeling whatsoever, not for other people, not for what happened to me, not for, I was completely numb. And the reason that I was completely numb is I found that to be the best way to deal with all of the pain and all of the problems and all of the other stuff that I had buried for so long. Uh, and, and while you're in combat, you almost have to bury stuff. You know, uh, you do. You, you, have to, you have to get over it, drive on with the mission, and, and, and keep moving forward. Um, so so you, kind of, you kind of have to put it away for a while. However... As soon as you are done, as soon as you are out of the military, you know, you have a des desire to go on to a police force or federal law enforcement or anything else. And even if you get a chance of breaking your military career to deal with it, you should take care of that stuff as soon as possible. The sooner that you deal with it, uh, the lesser an effect that it will have, the, the, the less the termites will eat your house, right? Right. And, and so in, in that very uh, open and, and honest revelation, um, you know, everybody thinks about, um, you know, veteran suicide is the problem. That's the problem we need to solve. Um, and, and that's for you, if somebody were to say, you know, you know, OK, oh, David Smith, had, uh, he was suicidal. He must have PTSD. That's not a one to one. That wasn't the reason why you went to commit suicide. Suicide is really a symptom of, of the broad range of spectrum of con, uh, veteran mental health concerns. For you, it was uh, much more emotional. For you, it was something that, that, uh, that um, and, and, and again, before we talked before, um, it was much more moral injury. And, uh, and you had not, uh, before you and I talked several months ago, uh, you hadn't heard of that concept and what it was about and things like that. And so we as a mental health professional community are not doing a very good job helping veterans understand what's really going on. It goes back to what you had said uh, at the very beginning is we didn't understand it. We didn't know that this was actually a thing. If it's actually a thing, if it's actually a problem, hey, I know how to apply solutions to problems. 
Um, but if I don't know what the problem is, I'll just throw any solution and, and hopefully it sticks. Um, and so while yes, suicide is a problem, uh, it is an indicator to a deeper problem. And for you, it was much more emotional. I would say, so, so I should have brought this up earlier, and I'm glad that you brought it up now. Um, a huge part of stigma probably results from that we don't understand and we can't explain what's going on inside of us. Um, so when people first started talking to me about post-traumatic stress, I was like, I don't really have post-traumatic stress. You know, we fought, you know, we, we shot plenty of rounds. We got shot at plenty. We were blown up, all that stuff. But none of it, none of it really struck me as like this, oh, terrible traumatic experience. Uh, so, so it was hard for me to go anywhere and talk about, oh, you know, what was your traumatic experience? I, I didn't really have any. Um, but when I started hearing these, these other parts of the puzzle, like moral injury, I didn't hear about moral injury until a year or two years ago. And when I heard that one, I was like, ah, that fits. Okay. That one makes sense. Uh, and I think that a lot of time as, as, as veterans, especially, it's very hard for us to, to seek help or to ask for help when we can't put a finger on what, what the hell's bothering us, you know? You don't, uh, which is weird, you know, because if something is wrong with your car that you can't explain, what's the first thing that you do? You take it to a mechanic and you ask the mechanic to, well, what sound is it making? And, oh, it vibrates and it's making this sound and it does this. And then the mechanic's like, okay, I can help fix that. But for some reason with mental health, we feel like we shouldn't seek help until we can definitively explain what the symptoms are, what's going on. And it, it, like, we feel like we have to have the solution in hand before we go and talk to someone about what it is. But it's not that way. It literally is just like with a car or with plumbing or with anything else where, hey, I don't know what's going on. Water's all over the house. It's coming from the ceiling. It's coming from here and there. And I haven't figured out what it is, but I just know that something's wrong. So can you please come and help me sort it? That's the way that it should be, right? When you realize that stuff is going on, go find someone else who can help you unpack it, who can help you understand, and then slowly over time, they'll have maybe a model like you have that, sure, post-traumatic stress is this huge thing. Post-traumatic stress itself is, is huge. It's, like a, it's, it's almost like a banner, but so many different things fall underneath that, that what you have to do is connect people to something that... that hits more at home for them a lot of times. And then they're like, oh, moral injury. Yeah, because it wasn't post-traumatic stress. I didn't mind being shot at. In fact, it was fun. Right. A, lot of the, a lot of the combat was fun. But that part, yeah, about moral injury, how I shot a fellow uh, Marine, and you know that's, that's not supposed to happen, and it hurt me morally. It violated what I felt was supposed to be the code of ethos of you know military service and everything else. Yeah, that's the one. So, so I think you really hit on something clever there. Well, and, and I think that, uh, again, it's, it's sort of something that's always been there, but it's not been an awareness. Um, it's not been an awareness, I think, in the, uh, the mental health community. Um, you know, everybody's sort of seeing their piece, their prism, but they really don't see the whole aspect. Um, and, and I like how you said that the veteran believes that they need to have the solution in hand. When we really don't even know what the problem is, right? We we don't define the problem. You know, I've been I've taken it to try to explain it like this: uh, is uh, if my wife 
says she wants some flowers, right? She doesn't know what kind of flowers she wants, but but she just she wants some flowers. And so I go to the store and I get her what I think are her favorite flowers. I bring them back. She says, I don't want those kind of flowers. I don't know what kind of flowers I want, but I know it's not those. So I keep going back and forth and, and I empty the store of the flowers and I keep coming back and say, well, are these the flowers you need? Same thing for veterans. Well, you need housing, right? No, it's not housing. Oh, you need employment, right? Oh, it's not employment. You know, and so we keep coming back. The problem is not that I don't know how to to find the flowers. It's that the individual, that my wife in this case, doesn't know what flowers she wants or she doesn't know what flowers she needs uh, because she's not able to define the problem. Yeah. Another very important thing to discuss there is that a lot of times, it's pretty much never a single problem. It's almost always compounded problems. Uh so you, you have guys who are serving in the military who are uh, responsible for leading young men into combat. Uh, they have so much responsibility and they're respected and they wear a cool uniform and, and you know, uh, there, there's so much great stuff that, that goes with that. But then, you know, you leave the military and you struggle to find employment. Uh, you used to be this hardcore warfighter and now you can't even support your family. Uh, so that eats away at you. Plus, whatever it happens to be from combat maybe eats at you a little bit. And then you're not sure how to use the GI Bill and get to college, but you know that you need a college degree to get the types of jobs that you want. And so that it eats at you a little bit. And then you find that you're not waking up at 6 a.m. and PTing every morning for two hours, and you're starting to get a little chubby around the midsection, and that eats at you a little bit. But the truth is there's all of these interconnecting uh, organizations and ways to fix that. You know, you can go to uh, Team Red, White, and Blue, for instance, and, and get your physical fitness on. And you can go to uh, Student Veterans of America and sort the, uh, the GI Bill and all the educational issues. And you can go to uh, another group and sort another piece of the puzzle and on and on and on and on. And really, it is like this, this huge puzzle once you get out of, of trying to put it together. And the more that you can figure out, okay, actually, I need I need more pieces for this. Okay, I start putting this thing together. The more successful you'll be overall. Uh, there are a lot of people who get out, and maybe they do have uh, post-traumatic stress and whatever, but they manage to land themselves in, in a good job where they have sense of purpose, they have meaning, they like their coworkers. Um, other pieces of the puzzle are in place, and so it's not as, as dramatic as quickly as it can be for other people. Sure, they still need to go sort whatever, talk to the mental health counselors and everything else, but there's a lot of pieces in this puzzle. It's not just one thing here and one thing here. And, and that is exactly right. That is, uh, that's what, uh, what I talk about. Um, a, a lot of people think that mental health is a secondary aspect of what we're dealing with. Um, that uh, that's it's an additional thing, you know. If the house of the veteran, that you know, I've got the employment room, I've got the the uh, the, the the work and play room, and, and and mental health is this shed that's out in the back that I go there if I need it. Where it's actually the foundation upon which everything else is built, um, and and that's the problem that I'm trying to solve is to help people understand that the base that all of this is built on. If you have the crack of PTSD and TBI and substance abuse and emotion regulation and moral injury and peer, so if the foundation is cracked in all of these different ways, 
then whatever you try to put on top of it is not going to be as stable or successful. Once you go to the mason and get the cracks fixed in the foundation, then you can start to build the house. And that's really, you you explained it perfectly, um, how everything gets tied together, but mental health is the foundation of it all. Yeah, that's that's perfectly accurate, I think. Um, It's really important to understand that there are a lot of pieces of this puzzle. Another really, really important thing to discuss is that veterans are not a monolithic group. It's not one size fits all. You've got guys who served 20 years in the military who are getting out um, and trying to move into a senior position somewhere. You've got guys who served four years in the military but were in lots of combat and uh, are not married and something else. And then you've got guys who served X amount of time and they are married. So, so, so it's not the same. Every veteran leaving service is generally different in some ways. Like we're, we're not the same across the board. So each individual veteran needs to go out and needs to take the responsibility upon themselves. So that's this is another huge thing. I know that uh, as veterans we we get so much, and sometimes there's um, I hate to say there can be this like entitlement mentality. People are not supposed to just take care of you. When you leave the military, it is your responsibility to take care of yourself. And that includes everything that I discussed, the physical fitness, the employment, the uh, GI Bill education, uh, and and everything else, the mental health. uh, You have to take responsibility for these things and fix all of your foundational pieces. There are people out there who will help you, who, who are experts in the field to come and help you fix those different parts of your foundation. But they're not really going to come to you. You have to go out and you have to say, hey, I need help with this piece of my foundation. I need help with this piece. I need help with this piece. And it's very possible that there's stigma for all of these pieces. People, I got out of the military and and I didn't want to seek help for, um, for figuring out how to use the GI Bill, as stupid as that sounds. You know, I was like, no. I should be able to figure this out on my own. Like I should be completely able to go to a brick and mortar school and write my college applications and do all this stuff. Man, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. It was not that much different than mental health. I had to reach out to friends and then friends connected me to resources and then I used those resources to eventually become successful. Like I said, I went to a decent school. I managed to graduate from Berkeley, but it's all because uh, I said, after trying to do it by myself for entirely too long, I said, okay, you're right. I don't want to do this this online school stuff anymore. I want to go to a real school. I want to use the job bill the right way, and then I want to transfer to a UC. And, and once I took the responsibility and said, these are my goals, and this is what I want to do, and I started seeking people to help me, then it was easy. But for some reason, coming out of the military, I felt like, oh, I should know exactly how to use the GI bill. I shouldn't. Yeah, yeah and not like, a chance. And, and that's what I, I hear a lot. You know, guys are like, well, I should be able to handle this. And, you know, and, and who made up the rules? You know, who, who said that that was the way it's supposed to be? And I like how you said that, uh, you know, we do think we can handle stuff on our own. You know, I'm, I'm picking up a couch. Hey, do you want help with that? No, no, I'm good. And then, you know, I throw my back out or whatever it is, right? You know, and, and so in, in whether that's, um, you know, the, 
the I can do it mentality or never quit. I mean, that's that, that warrior ethos piece might, um, might play into me not reaching out for help and, and help in this context and where conversation is definitely mental health help, but, um, but also, um, uh, just any kind of help, you know, and, and I'm, I'm here running a podcast and, and, and I'm not doing it on my own. I've got, you know, people helping me, you know, what do I need to do with the podcast? And, and I'm listening to stuff and I'm going out and I'm seeking more information. Uh, but I, I really like how you, you put that. You, you first became aware that you needed to change, right? You know, that, that you were aware that I'm getting nowhere. I'm spinning my tires, um, you know, on this college thing. But after awareness came action, and that's when change happens. So just being aware of the problem isn't enough. That's what we're doing here. You know, people listen to this. Okay, now I'm aware of the problem. Then what? Then what is what you said? This veteran has to take responsibility to take action. Yeah. One, one real quick thing I want to make note of is that there is a huge difference between that, that military slash combat mentality that we need and the you're not in the military slash combat anymore mentality. Look, if I'm in combat, we're under fire, Marines are pinned down on a beach, and I need to pick up a stick and attack a machine gun position, I will pick up a stick and attack a machine gun position, right? I will get MacGyver to do whatever it takes and sort that stuff on my own, and I'll make stuff happen. That's, that's completely different. The problem is that we try and take that I-can-do-anything, I'll-solve-it-all-figured-out mentality from the military. We try and take that and then put it into our civilian lives. It's not the same. That is not apples to apples. That's apples to like cucumber or something. It's, it's not even. It's not even in the same in in the same group. It's it's so completely different because when you get out, right, you shouldn't be doing that. You should not be like, oh yeah, I need to solve my GI bill, and if I have to pick up a stick to solve my GI bill, then I'll solve my GI bill. Nope. No, 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 no. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way anymore outside of combat slash the military, right? You're out. There are tons of resources, tons of people have been there and done this before. It's not like this, oh, life or death scenario. So go out, reach out for help, find all the stuff that you need and get it done. Um, it, I hope that makes sense. No, it does. You know, it's, in, 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 in. David, I know that we can uh, we can go on this for hours and hours, but but that makes me think of something when we were in the military. Um, it all of that, you know, all of the extra support stuff was provided for us. Um, Afghanistan, my first Afghanistan, we were doing security escort, 150 miles, I think, 151, uh, one way. Uh, so when we were out on the most dangerous routes, of course, um, uh, I had what, 8, 10, 12 trucks with me securing uh, local national vehicles. So I had my team in front behind. I had everybody in my truck. But I had Apaches and, and helicopters right above me, like literally almost landing on top of my, my truck. And then we had drones above them. And we had F-16s above them. And we had, you know, stratosphere. So I had coverage from the ground to the edge of space. And then I had battle space owners. I had, you know, traveling through the battle space, I had overwatch guys passing me through checkpoints. I had, you know, coverage of fire, 
you know, and, and, and so there were all of these different resources that had I needed them, I just had to push a different button or, or use a different call sign and I could reach out and get the assistance. And it wasn't that much different from veterans that I've talked to, you know, that were uh, going door to door and, and uh, you know, all you had to do was call and then somebody would be there. Um, but we don't, we don't put that in place for ourselves when we leave the military, even though we have coverage from ground to stratosphere, left to right in all directions. Uh, which, which is crazy. I mean, if you are a grunt, you're kicking in a door, you've got gun trucks that are blocking all of the positions around you, you've got all the same stuff. You've got air, you've got support, you've got an ODA or some other asset on call somewhere, you've got QRF, you've got geospatial reconnaissance, you've got, name it, all, all the support that you can imagine. You Nine times out of ten, you don't have even the slightest idea of how much stuff is there to support you, but it's there. As you said, based by zone or by whatever, but, but all that stuff is there. And, uh, and uh, you know, we feel like, oh, yeah, it's, it's me. I should be able to do this all on my own. And as you said, even in the military, you know, there are so many layers of cover. We, for some reason, we don't think about it that way. We have that, like... I should be able to do it on my own, suck it up, get through it mentality. And, and I think a lot of people are, are blinded by how much support there is in the military, you know, how much goes on to make the, even the small missions possible. And the, they're definitely blinded when they get out by how much it takes to be successful in the civilian world. You need all of that same amount of support, you know, say the Apaches is, uh, is, is your GI Bill educational services or whatever, and say that the, the stratosphere level is something else. Is it, whatever it happens to be, it's, it's literally the same. Uh, and so one thing that we really need to do is to start bringing all of these resources into one place so that it's, easily, it's, uh, it's easy to find, locate, and make use of resources. Um, I know that there's something called the Warrior Wellness Alliance, which is pretty new. Um, and that's done through the Bush Center and some other organizations. And what they're do doing is putting everything in one place so that you can search keyword. You can search post-traumatic stress or fitness or GI Bill or whatever. And then you'll get populated, you know, 20, 30, 40 different types of websites. You find what fits for you. Maybe the educational resources that you need are very different from the educational resources that I need. But at least you have the list there. You go through, you find out what you need, you find out what the scholarship programs are, what the fitness programs are, what the mental health services are, etc., and then you make use of them. And then the cool part of, of having an alliance is that once you start doing these, for instance, you join up with, let's say, Team Rubicon, and you're finding your sense of purpose again with international disaster response, um, and then you realize, oh, T Team Red, White, and Blue works a lot with these guys too, and they do physical fitness, cool, and then you do stuff with them. And then they're interconnected with the Student Veterans of America, so you learn about using the GI Bill. All of these things, this, this idea of an alliance of everything being interconnected so that you are passed from one resource to another, to another, to another, is finally starting to happen. But it's still going to take responsibility on behalf of the veteran to go out and, and, and seek those. Nobody's going to come and knock on your door and say, Hey Dave, hey, Dave, I see that you just got out of the military and now you live in this place. And, hey, would you like a job? And would you like this? And would you like this? I mean, sort of. There will be people there to, to kind of help you. But it still all comes down to you and that 
you're going to have to take all of the responsibility to leverage those resources, to find those resources and everything else. You know, that's a, that's a, a great uh, description of, uh, of maybe a collaborative solution, uh, but also, uh, David, that's a, a solution of what we're trying to do here on the Change Your POV Podcast Network. We have all of these shows to do exactly what you said earlier, which is to, to have a veteran say, hey, it's okay for you to go to that place, or it is okay for you to do that and do that place. Um, and so even though all of those resources are out there in this great big open square, um, a veteran's just not going to stand there until he says, is it, is it okay for me to do that? And so that's what we see we're doing here on the network is to be able to say, look, it's all right. This is what you can do. And again, exactly what you said, if you don't do it, you're not going to be as successful as you could be. I see that you got the book Tribe by Sebastian Younger behind you. And in the book, Sebastian's talking about, you know, what it means to be part of a tribe, to be part of a, a collective group and why the military affects us the way it does and why we so much miss the camaraderie that we have in the military and why we miss that sense of purpose and, and how we feel so lost when we leave the military with that, with that interconnected uh, uh, sense of purpose and, and camaraderie and everything. And so people need to realize that when you get out, there's a lot of things that you're going to miss about the military. However, you know, if you pay attention to these podcasts and if you search for the resources and if you do the other stuff, if you do the work and take the responsibility, you can build a tribe again outside of the military. I would dare to say that my tribe now outside of the military is perhaps even larger and even stronger than it was in the military. And that's saying a lot because I love with my entire heart all the guys that I served in combat with. And that goes to say a lot about what I've managed to piece together since leaving the military. And everyone can do the same. I mean, all of the veterans who are transitioning, they're, everybody, everybody who's worn the uniform, who's had the boots on the ground, is there to help you along the journey. And all of the guys who have been out for a while and are still struggling, guess what? It's time to, to say, okay, hey, yes, perhaps help me a little bit with this. Help me get my finances in order, my GI Bill in order, my whatever it happens to be. Because there are people all over who are just dying to help you out. There is a, an entire tribe outside of the military. And I highly suggest that anyone who's listening to this starts piecing that together. No, that's that's absolutely it, and and to uh, to just really uh, hammer that home, it's the same thing for me, David. Is that the the network, and that's what we the buzzword now, but the tribe uh, that we have uh, built now um, is is stronger in many different ways uh, than than even what we had when we were in the military, and that's the same thing for me too. If I hadn't uh, really paid attention to my mental health and wellness, I wouldn't be as successful. Uh, as I could be to to turn around and and you know help our brothers and sisters out. So if uh, if if uh, somebody wanted to reach out and contact you, what would be a good way for them to do that? Uh, maybe social media stuff like that. Yeah, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's LinkedIn.com/in/DaveSmith0311. Hey, if you need anything, you can send me an email. David.Julian.Smith at gmail.com. Julian is spelled J-U-L-I-A-N. Um, anyway, reach out to Dwayne. Dwayne also knows how to get in touch with me. <laughs> yeah, now but, make sure uh, that uh, we have all that on the show notes and 
and and we'll be getting that out. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to be and not, not just be on the podcast here. You know, it, the the amount of time that veterans want to spend serving other veterans. I once heard, uh, and it probably was on a podcast that I heard that a uh, a Marine has five minutes on the beachhead of another Marine's soul. Right? You know that no matter what, if you're an old school leatherneck or a a brand new recruit, you've got five minutes with another veteran um, to, to say, hey, what can I do for you? Uh, and often, um, if it's worth it, uh, you have more than five minutes. Uh, so I appreciate you giving uh, an hour of the time, um, not just for me, but for our listeners. And uh, and thanks for being part of this whole uh, conceptualization series. I think it really kind of uh, brings it in well. Absolutely. I want to make one super quick recap. Four years ago, in 2013, I was standing in the bedroom of my college apartment with a shotgun in my mouth because I failed to take responsibility for my transition. As I said now, 2017, I live in Norway with a woman that I love. I work a job that I love. My life has never been better. I'm actually in better physical shape than I was in the Marines, and I was in pretty excellent physical shape in the Marines. My mental health is better than I ever thought it could be. And even all, there are things that are happening in my life now that I never even fathomed to be possible. And all of those are because I made use of resources and I made a decision to make this life everything that I that I possibly thought it could be and then some. And so I highly suggest anyone that's listening to really take this to heart and, and make use of the resources. You don't have to wait until it gets bad. Do it now. You know, a, a mic drop is sort of a, a, a visual kind of thing. I wish there was some way, you know, just this big bam, right? Bam, mic drop. No, that was that was great. That was a great recap, David, and uh, and I appreciate your time, and, and we'll definitely have to have you come back on the show because uh, I, we only just scratched the surface. So thanks for what you're doing, brother. Thanks, Ryan. So that was a great episode with David Smith talking about the internal stigma that keeps veterans from seeking veteran mental health. You can find the show notes on this show and many of the things we talked about at either changerpov.com or veteranmentalhealth.com looking for episode HST026. This is the second episode of the Veteran Mental Health Boot Camp, a series brought to you by the Change Your POV Podcast Network and the Headspace and Timing Podcast. If you're a veteran or service member, the family member of one, or support veterans in any way, then this series is designed to help you understand more about veteran mental health. If you're just now getting into the series, go back and check out episode HST025, where we introduce the concept of looking beyond PTSD and TBI in regards to veteran mental health. Make sure you subscribe to the Change Your POV podcast network on your podcast player of choice and sign up for updates at changeyourpov.com and veteranmentalhealth.com. We would love to hear your feedback regarding this series and all of the shows in the Change Your POV podcast network. 
You can do so by visiting our Facebook group, leaving a comment, or review on iTunes. Remember, veteran mental health and wellness is the basis of a successful post-military life and one that all who answered our nation's call to serve deserves. Remember, brothers and sisters, you're not alone, ever. Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.